Welcome to Say That, the podcast for your big questions, get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Joining us here is Jed Brewer. Hello! Also with us through the magic of the internet is Lee Younger. Yes, Matt, Jed, listener, we're all here. Aha! That's officially a quorum for a podcast. Need three white guys and a listener. And a lot of the times, <laughs> they don't make that last one. But we've got it all going here today. Uh, so, fantastic show lined up. We've got uh, some of your fine questions. But first, I'd like to start with a report from the field. Oh! Because our own Jed Brewer has spent the weekend recently at, I believe it's called the Pitchfork Festival. Yeah. Which I assume is a uh, gathering for only satanic music. Um, I assume he was doing some kind of deep cover um, report it, reportage. So I'd like to hear Absolutely. about it. Or, or it was people gathering to get rid of an ogre. Yeah. <laughs> or just doing some hay work, which is fine too. It can be all those things. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't judge. These are not mutually exclusive practices. Satanic Farmers Alliance. We support you. <laughs> so for, for the uninitiated, uh, Pitchfork Festival is um, a yearly music festival that takes place in Chicago. Uh, they've got them elsewhere in the world, too, but in the States, it's in Chicago. And it's all you know bands that have some artistic significance and make some cool music, but um, are generally a little bit out of the mainstream. You, you probably wouldn't hear them on the radio, but they're cool and they're good and they make good music. And so um, I was there and and I, I saw many bands, but I, I saw one in particular that I, I really appreciate it because they're uh, a rock band. Uh, they're Danish and you know, they're, they're doing the whole, the whole rock band thing. They got swagger. They got moves like Jagger. They got other things that rhyme that I can't think of at the moment, but they have them like maybe a decorative dagger. That was off, sure. but it rhymed, which felt pretty good. So, but so they're doing their set and they're rocking out and they get to, I don't know, song number two, song number three. I'm like, you know, there's something about this melody. That's, that's really familiar and then the climax the 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 big part of the song they bust out will the circle be unbroken and they are just rocking that out on stage at pitchfork <laughs> at union park in chicago yeah if you're not familiar with may the circle be unbroken it is a incredibly country song i believe the most famous version is still probably willie nelson's probably well either that or the the nitty gritty dirt band that kind of um, that brought a resurgence to kind of Appalachian and bluegrass music featuring Doc Watson, which I will make a connection here. Please do. Please. Um, because Odin himself had his eye scratched out when he was on the, the, uh, you know, the, the all world tree. Ooh. And uh, Doc Watson was a blind guitar player, maybe possibly the founder of the guitar solo. But very famously played Will the Circle Be Unbroken on the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band album by the same name. My goodness. The plot thickens. So the father of the of the guitar solo was blind like the all-father, Odin himself. Ooh. Now we can assume influenced these very Danish rockers. We we have no reason to believe otherwise, and, and this leads us to some observations that Matt has been making. Yes, we uh, we were talking about this as we were getting set up to record. Um, we all, uh, you know, with the, with the we all enjoy our Norwegian and our uh, Norse kind of friends and their their cultural accoutrement, uh, whether that be the the metal music or 
you know, the Thor movies or the actual Norse mythology. Uh, if or you're the reindeer that, sausage that has been sent to us. Yes, definitely that. All these kind of things. And we've also merged that observation with noticing that a lot of the people in our own land who are, hmm, let's see how to put this, if they're, if theoretically the most enthusiastic about their Christianity, um, don't really like the parts of it that are Christianity. Yeah. With the forgiving your enemies and the, you know, not, uh, you know, through a mirror darkly and the, the mystery, the mystery elements and the self-sacrifice and the, uh, this caring for the poor and whatnot, caring for the poor, this world, not being our home, not storing up, uh, grain in storehouses where moth destroy and so, and whatnot, all these kind of things. Um, what they want to do is bathe in the blood of their enemies. Yeah. And that's. <laughs> Well, it's not cool, but that's, you know, it's a unifying theory. And one of the major world religions uh, in history that has that in spades is Norse paganism. Yes. So when Jed reported <laughs> that he had heard someone mixing, you know, Danish, uh, which are the, those were the Viking-y Vikings, you know, if there's, if there's, there's not much gold left in Northern, in Northern England, thank you, Danish people. <laughs> <laughs> so they this mixing with very um culturally Christian music that brought us to the idea of evangelical Norse paganism. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and we think there might be a market, because you know, on one hand, it's just hot right now. You again you got your Thor movies, you got your your Vikings television show and all these type of things, the Northmen, uh movie by, made by that insane gentleman, uh, you know, where they thought Willem Dafoe could just act like himself. And that would be <laughs> the most terrifying thing that could be brought to the screen. And they were correct. <laughs> but we thought maybe you could marry the, the actual tenets of Norse mythology with your American evangelical kind of uh, patina, and you might really get something there. Yeah, like if you die in a battle where you're fighting, then you will go to, you know heaven slash Valhalla. So there's a lot of fighting in American evangelicalism, even though Jesus wasn't on that so much. But if we mix the Norse paganism with the evangelicalism, then we get the, you know, fighting the culture war. Maybe, maybe you will end up in Val heaven. <laughs> Val heaven, or as we know it, the year 1998. Yes, sir. That's <laughs> feels like 98, man. Not sure that was an intentional setup by Lee, but I just couldn't pass it up. Swing the bat, buddy. Absolutely. Well, the th so we we trying to figure out some of these things. I think Valhalla is a good point because Jed. One of the things he was bringing up is you could imagine the person doing the uh, just kind of the normal white Protestant church prayer rhythm that we brought up many times on this show that can be recontextualized into a Wendy's order or oh, yeah. such things, but doing that. But instead of, you know, we, Holy spirit, we invite you into this presence, just wishing that Valhalla was here in this room with us right now. We know I, I did a little Googling. I have no idea. I, I have a text to share with us. I have oh, no idea where this wow. comes from. It, it is a prayer to Thor. No idea if this is a result of like modern Norse paganism or if this goes back a ways. It doesn't really matter for our purposes. Well, Jed, the good thing about evangelicalism is you take things that were made up in the last 20 years and just pretend they've always been that way. Okay, totally true. <laughs> Let me ask you guys this. Um, we got two options for how we're going to deliver this. We could do high budget, make a church pastor, 
or we could do a uh, southern pastor. Which which are we feeling for this? Mm. Both have merits. I, I think we have to start southern. All right. Thor, thunder forth in my life. When I would hold back, let me advance. When I would be weak, help me be strong. When I would shun life's pleasures, sharpen my appetite for that which is lusty and good. Help me grow from strength to strength and teach me, elder brother, how to throw my own hammer and slay the giants who oppose my will. Amen. (laughs) Wow, dude. Oh, that started so strong out of the gate with Thunder Forth. Oh, Thunder Forth. Some just awful men's breakfast where they're, we're going to have the spirit of the thunder God thunder forth and there's going to be flatjacks. (laughs) Come on out. Saturday, eight o'clock. What he was serving me, Matt, was like full on tent revival. Everyone's sweating through their button down shirt and suspenders. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that part about like where I'm not greedy enough for life's lusty pleasures helped me fix that for myself like oh that's your evangelical <laughs> paganism right there yeah. yeah that's it that's it well that and sl- or maybe the christians the the uh overtly christian schools that hire the most despicable person ever for their football coach i have no idea what you might be referring to sir <laughs> you know that's an important the importance of getting a burner phone not be overstated <laughs> we don't really talk about that much here on the uh, on the podcast but there's certainly times where that's going to be important well i feel like we can give kind of a blanket answer if you've ever wondered should i get a burner phone if you're wondering that the answer is yes a better question is should you live a life where you need a burner phone and we would love to get into that but if you're wondering if you need one if you're wondering that then yes you should definitely get one <laughs> yeah yeah there's there's some times in life where um you can't do things by half measures and any activity where you need a burner phone is one of those. Yeah. Be yeah, that right. um, being in the unlicensed pharmaceutical industry, as many of us have known sure. people who, you know, they just didn't want to go spend that $40 <laughs> on the track phone because they had a system. Or if you're the, the coach at the university of Mississippi and you have some, some, side quests let's put it during your recruiting visits <laughs> oh and you think eh, two phones seems like a lot i'll just make these appointments via this state issued phone how could that go wrong but the university pays for this one matt that's right i would have to pay for the other one well and that is a uniquely evangelical christian thriftiness that is not <laughs> present where Norse paganism. <laughs> Even though I make $5 million a year. Yeah. Yeah. I think someone didn't uh, strong enough beseech Thor to throw his own hammer and slay the giants who opposed his will. <laughs> That's right. In this case, the giants were the compliance department at the University of Mississippi. And frosty <laughs> though they are. You know who's not frosty is the university is is Liberty University. They'll just hire that guy right up. Yep. Bum bum bum. Absolutely. I, you know, you know who doesn't pull this kind of stuff is the Minnesota Vikings. A fine <laughs> and upstanding athletic institution. Well, what I'm interested in is um 
the you know you mentioned Odin and the the eye out. He was, I think, Norse pagan Easter. Oh, like we can me- mesh those. People are gonna love that. Okay, break it down it, for me. Well, because you you have current Easter with Jesus, and it's you know, he defeats death and all that, but then he just kind of you know tells people to go spread a message of love and acceptance and peace, and that's kind of a letdown if you're of a certain mind. Like he had sure. this, you know, it's a it's a his big moment of victory is saying to forgive the people who are murdering him and you know let his spirit be given up, and that's kind of. The big denouement. Um, he's murdered yeah. by armed agents of the states, which is uncomfortable to think about if you have certain kind of bumper stickers on your car. Yeah, I mean, if you if you uh, if if the leader of your religion is is talking a game of peace, but your whole thing is wielding hammers and axes and other types of weapons, and how much you love those, you might be uncomfortable. Yeah. Now, however, when Odin. Uh, stuck himself to the world tree. Let's let's look to uh, uh, yeah, historiska.se. I don't oh. even know what country that is, but that'd be one of the good ones. During his <laughs> sacrificial actions, he saw visions and received secret wisdom. Magical knowledge he gained made him able to cure the sick, meh, calm storms, eh, turn weapons against his attackers, Ooh. make women fall in love, and render, render dangerous troll women harmless, often with just a look. Now, there's some people who are like, yeah, yeah, Pentecost, whatever. You know, people can speak languages. I th- I really don't like that whole part of Acts 2 where they all live together in essentially a communal way in the rich people of Southern money. He came back, turned weapons against his attackers, made women fall in love, and murdered trolls. Now these people are going to come to Sunrise Service. Yeah, you're right, a good point. Also, yeah, good point. Um, I'm, I'm not in Norse paganism, but that's an Easter pageant I would turn out for. <laughs> would you set your alarm for the sunrise service matt absolutely there's a because you know you get with the high budget mega churches and it's all we have a camel that looks sad because it comes the same petting zoo every year and there's like the clearly retractable spear you got you know a one-eyed guy wielding an axe against a troll woman that's something worth getting up at 7 a.m for yeah yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, if you get a chocolate croissant in one hand, a coffee in the other, and a guy is dis like literally disarming trolls, and by that I mean removing their arms on yeah. stage. Yeah, yeah, that's getting it done. Yeah, it really kind of. Uh, I, I just have a feeling there's going to be a market for people who really enjoy that, who are not that moved by the, um, you know, no more tears, nor mourning, nor crying, nor pain. Yeah. That they follow flat. Valhalla, where you're in, you know, the the great hall for all times, constantly fighting and drinking as your reward. Now we're talking. (laughs) So here's the thing. I know we've been joking around for the last 15 some odd minutes, but I don't know if either of you guys are also experiencing the deafening and really sad clarity with which I now understand a massive subset of people who call themselves Christians, at least in this country. Yeah. Yeah. That's not, um, the vengeful bloodbath religion (laughs) with the long blonde hair and the blue eyes. I think that's the one you guys like. (laughs) 
<laughs> so, yeah. So to to Jed's uh, Jed's point, I, I feel this will be the perfect place to close us out. I have I'm on a northernpaganism.org. So they're oh. a nonprofit, which is nice. And they have their own um, prayer to Thor for strength by Seawalker. So I think this is a new one. Okay. I don't think this is any ancient, but I I, I think I can I can dig on some of this. Uh, Light on us. Thunder rolls, lightning strikes. I, I gotta do the voice, don't I? Please. I, I, I can I mega church this up? I bet I can. Yeah. I, I gotta I gotta find the rhythm. I don't do the voice as well, Jeb, but I think I can get the rhythm. Right. Thunder rolls, lightning strikes, mm-hmm. and the hammer flies across the sky. God of the weather, chariot of the storm, master of rains and torrents, son of the strength of Mother Earth, I ask you to grant me that strength for myself. You who are great and that you cannot walk across the rainbow bridge without breaking it. You whose tree is the mighty oak. O Thor, grant me that unending sturdiness. Let me not break beneath the blows of misfortune. Keep me from being crushed when the powerful stomp their large feet on the smaller ones below. Only one of many. Protect my steps. Thunder rolls, lightning strikes, and hammer flies across the sky. I feel like you could slide that into your Presbyterian service. Yeah. yeah, And people would not notice. Well done, sir. Well done. Yeah. The only the only hang up you would have, Matt, is the fact that you use the word rainbow, and that really sets those same kind of people off. That's true. In a different way. <laughs> also, when you started off with thunder rolls, they might think you're going to do a Garth Brooks song, and then be really mad when you don't do that. Well, there is that. <laughs> and the thunder rolls. That's right, Garth Brooks, Secret Norse Pagan. You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> I, now the okay. Now that you've said the name Garth Brooks. The only thing I can think of is somebody dressed up as Thor singing, Blame it all on my roots. I showed up in boots. Yeah, there it is. There it is. Ruined your evangelical affair. (laughs) That's right. He's got friends in low places. And by low, I mean Nefelheim, home (laughs) of the Fire Elves. That... Salute, dude. That was impressive. For the Thank win. Thank you very much. The... That was the result of frantic Googling and trying to remember <laughs> the name from the very, very long, uh, excellent Thor run of comics that the new movie is based on. Fantastic. Okay. <laughs> okay. We got there. That's the important thing. And on that note, we can declare emergency off. <laughs> that was an insane trip. Yes. though so not as insane as reality because... That's just right. the place we're at currently. We're going to move on to your fine questions. If you hang on with us all the way to the end, I'll give you some ways you can touch this. Or you can scroll down to your episode description, click the links you find there. Our first question comes in and says, I feel like when I was a kid, I was given a big package labeled Christian beliefs. Some of them didn't really have anything to do with Christianity, but they were in the package. I've dropped a lot of those, but how do I know what I should drop and what to keep? I think this is a really cool question, a great way to describe um, something I think a lot of people who grew up in, in church um, feel, and maybe as given some of the things we talked about in the emergency, or going through feeling uh, more and more. And Lee, where would we start off with this idea? This is cool. I, I, I agree with Matt. It's an excellent question, and I think it's really timely. I think a lot of people who grew up in church are facing this, and they're not facing it because it's a fad. They're not facing it because it's cute on social media. They're facing it because they're honest and they are serious about uh, what am I believing in? What am I giving my time to? What am I putting my energy into? And what can I expect out of this thing? Like what, what's actually real here? 
Um, and some of the some of the discomfort that leads to a question like this comes from the fact that we look around through Christendom and we find a whole lot of stuff that is super janky, super messed up. As we, you know, we poked fun of that stuff in in the emergency, but it's a real problem. Um, you should be discerning about your past and about the things that you were told. You should be. Um, because you're right, a lot of junk gets added in. Um, a lot of junk about women gets added in. A lot of junk about foreigners gets added in. A lot of junk about uh, America gets added in. I was at a, like a Walmart or something one time and saw somebody that was wearing a T-shirt that had an American flag on it. And it had some verse from one of the Chronicles in it that said, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Uh, let's be clear. That is an unbelievably ridiculous amalgamation of things right there. That verse and that flag, yep. those do not belong together in any way. It's not why that verse was written. That verse was not written for America. That verse does not apply to America in any way. America was not founded by Christian people. It was not founded as a Christian enterprise. It was not founded as a Christian experiment. And it was <laughs> it was founded by uh, drug-using, slave-holding white dudes who had a lot of problems. And um, and as a result, it's got a lot of janky problems to this day. Um, and But you're exactly right. A lot of weird stuff has been brought in. Let's start here. Let's talk about some Bible stuff for a minute. When the New Testament was written, before the New Testament was written, people came to believe in Jesus based on one fact that someone came to them and said, I saw Jesus risen from the dead, period. That was the belief. Like when we talk about a system of beliefs or a, or a package of beliefs, what does it mean to be a Christian? In the very, very beginning, it began with this. Someone said to someone else, I witnessed Jesus being raised from the dead. I saw him. He's risen from the dead. The letters of the Apostle Paul came much after that, like a, a, you know, a few years after that, 15, 16, 17, 20, 25 years after that happened. And then the, the Gospels came after those came. So the Gospels put more meat on the bones of some of the things that the Apostle Paul said, but all of that was based on this. I am an eyewitness. I saw Jesus risen from the dead. So then we had some... We had some theology from the Apostle Paul. We had some teachings of Jesus from the Gospels, all that stuff. Personally, when I think about like what's in the, what's in the 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 like the the set of beliefs or like the bullet points or whatever, I've always liked things that some church people put together many years later. After that, one is called the Apostles' Creed. One's called the Nicene Creed. And I also like this, and I just want to kind of hand this to you as a place to begin. Um, a place to begin your day, a place to begin your week, a place to direct a small group or a group of friends. Two questions. One, am I willing, as far as I understand it today, to let Jesus call some shots over my day? If I believe that he is who he says he is, I believe that he's risen from the dead, I believe he's God who paid for me because he loved me. Am I willing to let him call some shots over my day? And two, what would it look like for me to genuinely love the people in my life today? What I want to suggest to you is, outside of all the nonsense and outside of all the stuff that's been added about foreign people, about 
that that's that's not in the Bible. It's uh, about about gay people, about whatever, wh- whatever, whatever you want to, you know, whatever you want to look at about women, about anything, regardless of the stuff that's been added. Can I look at a couple of things? Which is, if I believe in Jesus, am I willing to let him call some shots for me? And am I willing to look at what would it take for me to figure out how to love the people that are in my day today? If you start there, what I want to suggest is you will be doing the Christian thing at a high level unheard of in our society today. And two, I would love to hang out with you. Anybody that's seriously pursuing those two things, you are going to be just fine. It's a great place to start. It's a, place, it's a great place for any of us who claim to know Jesus to get on with. And outside of that, we can let the rest of it sort itself out. That's a fantastic place to start that off. Jed, what would have to add to that? I totally agree with Lee. Lee covered a lot of, of the core beliefs that define Christianity. In terms of living it out, it is about loving people. Um, you, you almost certainly know this story, but uh, they asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He said, well, you got to love God. And they said, okay, what's, what's the second greatest commandment? He said, you got to love other people. And then um, in Matthew chapter 25, when Jesus is talking about the end of the world and the way that we will all be judged, he actually made it clear that those are the same thing, that to love God is to love yeah. other people. Um, you, you, you don't get to, to do one without the other. So if it were me, uh, the thing I would encourage you to look at is focus on loving your neighbor, focus on showing care and compassion to the least of these, and build very slowly from there. You don't need to be in a hurry. Uh, if you are finding ways to love your neighbors, if you're finding ways to show some degree of compassion to the least of these, you are Christianing it as well as anyone who has ever Christianed. That's um, right. You're, you're, you're crushing it. You're doing it. Um, you can build from there, but go, go slow. You don't need to be in a hurry. Here's a bonus question that I want to add for you to think about as you're trying to figure out how to love your neighbor and how to care for the least of these. And that bonus question is, do they think of it as love? Wow, Here's why that yeah. matters. Is We're in a time right now where there are a lot of people who would tell you that they are Christians who are doing some horrendously evil stuff. Uh, and they're doing it as hard as they can, as fast as they can. And when when people say, hey, that doesn't seem super Christian, they will try and tell you, oh, well, we're being loving. And, you know, relationships are complicated. For people that you are very, very close to, once in a long while, the idea of tough love may be appropriate. But that's a rare thing. It's only for relationships where you have a huge degree of, of trust and vulnerability, um, and it's not an all-the-time thing. If, if you're finding that your love is consistently received by other people as not love, something has gone badly wrong. We have definitely lost the plot. As it turns out, other people, by and large, are they get to decide whether they're being loved well or not. Like, you as the one doing the loving— you. You don't really get to review your own work. That's, that's for other people to do. And to that point, I want to tell you, I want to share a really cool quote with you, and it's going to be a little bit more of kind of biblical history that Lee started us with. So in Judaism, there's a very, very famous um, religious teacher named Hillel the Elder, and Hillel the Elder would have lived, he and Jesus might have overlapped by a couple of years where Hillel would have been a very, very elderly man when Jesus was a little boy. 
Um, but he's a very, very important figure. Jesus was probably aware of some of the things that he said because there's there's some overlap. Paul was almost certainly aware of things that Paul said because there's definitely overlap. But there's this line where this this great man Hillel is is being asked, um, "What is God's law?" And he replies, "That which is hateful to you, do not do to another. That is the entire law of God. The rest is interpretation." Part of what he's describing there, which is another thing that people have been attacking lately, is the idea of empathy. Put yourself in someone else's shoes. If you would hate if this was done to you, yes. then don't do it to someone else. If you can dig it, um, although that line comes from the history of Judaism, the Apostle Paul said almost the exact same thing when he wrote, love does no harm to its neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Those are the same ideas. That is a a, a direct continuation of the same idea. Yep. If you're not sure how to love people— one of the things that you can start with is don't hurt them. At the very least, don't make their lives worse. Try and put yourself in their shoes, trying to figure out what they are going through and what life is like for them, and don't make matters worse. From there, you can build on figuring out how to make things better, but at the very least, what is hateful to you, do not do to another. Start by loving your neighbor. Start by loving the least of these. Go from there. Uh, beautifully put, and as... Ever when I'm answering a question that is truly, truly over my head, I'm going to turn to quoting Frederick Buechner here. And it's a, a great quote. It's actually one of my favorites. Is, he says, at its heart, most theology, like most fiction, is essentially autobiography. Aquinas, Calvin, Barth, Tillich, I don't even know who those last two are is how over deep I'm in here, working out their system in their own ways and in their own language are all telling us the story of their lives. And if you press them far enough, even if they're most cerebral and forbidding, you find an experience of flesh and blood a human face smiling or frowning or weeping or covering its eyes before something that happened once. Hmm. And what I love about that is there's this idea that I think we get really, really deep into particularly in American Christianity and particularly when we're dealing with maybe what's in and what's out, that there is this thing that is called theology and there's the right one out there and you just kind of have to wind your way through it. And what I've come to believe and think more and more as I've gotten older and seen more things and seen more people uh, working out their salvation with fear and trembling, as the Bible puts it, is that all theology is going to be at best incomplete and much more likely comically come up short. You are trying to, un to explain a something that is, by its own definition, beyond human understanding. You know, Paul? The Apostle Paul describes the experience of, you know, heaven and being face-to-face -face with God as not only can I not describe it to you, it cannot be described to you, because eye has not seen and ears not heard, nor has it entered into the mind of man what this is, you know. The idea that it's you're somebody out there who went to the right school or wrote the cool book or can explain something really well has this nailed down to be what it is and the rest of us are either not smart enough or have trauma around certain things or just don't have enough faith to come to that perfect understanding is I think a very harmful and very common belief when the reality is everybody's theology is personal. Everybody's theology is lacking. 
everybody's theology is changing constantly. I would hope. I don't. I don't think you're having a a very to Lee's point about you know people working this out and kind of how we we gauge these things. If someone says, "Oh no, I believe all the same things about um, ideas like sin and salvation and love and forgiveness," I believe them a hundred percent. What I believed ten years ago today, I I would question whether that person's engaging with any of those ideas. Yeah, um, because stuff happens. Stuff happens to you. Stuff happens to people around you. You look back on things that happened to you and maybe the way you were raised or ideas you were given, you realize how harmful it is. Um, that's all fine. That's all part of that process. And one thing I, I think you don't have to worry about is, oh no, I'll throw too much out that this won't be Christianity anymore. Now, certainly if you decide I don't want anything to do with Jesus and I'm not declare I'm not a Christian, okay, you've left Christianity behind. That's and maybe part of your journey to somewhere else or back to it or whatever. That's, that's all, you know, as, as we were fond of saying on the show, I don't get invited to those meetings. So that's, that's still between you and Jesus, even if you're not right. really sure about it. But this idea of, ah, but what if I don't really dig? What if I grew up in a weird church where they like really went in on the substitutionary atonement thing, like really graphic descriptions of what, crucifixion did physically and really you know every naughty thought i had was a very was a wound that jesus carried and they tried to explain that to me when i was six in a way to make me feel like i should not you know say certain things okay fundamentally from a theological perspective as much as i've read and um you know heard smarter people than i and absorbed myself i think substitutionary substitutionary atonement is uh, theologically accurate and i think it's pretty critical to my understanding of Christianity. I also totally understand why you don't want to think about that. I also totally understand why you are not ready for the idea of a loving God that you want to have a relationship with, uh, using that as a center point right now. And what I'm describing, I think what, what all of us describing here is I think God wants a relationship with you way more than he wants your theology. Yep. So if your theology sucks, good word, and you want to have a relationship with him, I think God will take every single bit of it. Um, kind of as the counterpoint to some of the things we've been poking fun at here, where if you, in your own mind, have really airtight theology, but your loving of God and other people is totally cast by the wayside, there's a whole uh, passage in Matthew 25 about how that goes for those people. And a uh, little preview, not great. So I think back to the idea of, you know, this is all flesh and blood experience. I don't think, I don't think Jesus is going to reject your theology because I don't think he's going to reject your flesh and blood experience. No matter where you land on the, the theoretics of that, based on what you've been through, I think, I think God is there for you there to have that conversation. And we are very honored to be a part of those, those conversations, those thoughts when you folks uh, write into the show. So we hope you keep doing that. And on that note, we're going to move on to our second question here. Comes in and says, how can I be a wise person without turning into a cynical person? And that is a great question. And yet another question for our times. And Lee, where do we start off here? It is a great, I mean, what a, a cool question. I mean, I think a lot of times people will just, you know, it's like the more they find out, that, which we need to go ahead and point this out, it's tempting and easy to just go ahead and fall into the cynicism. This is a crappy jacked up world. And the more you find out about it, the more uh, it's, it's just tempting to throw up your hands and say, everybody sucks. 
everybody's evil and every everybody cheats and every every and every nobody cares and I hate everything and I want to go. Um, cynicism makes a lot of sense. Let's go ahead and start there. Cynicism makes a lot of sense when you look around the world. But I love your question. I love the hopefulness in it. I love the idea of can I merger wisdom with hopefulness, with some positivity. It's really, really cool. So I thought of this, which is there's kind of a, there's kind of a paradigm of thinking, kind of a left and right limits uh, thought experiment that, that you know, is, is something along the lines of, like, things are not all good, but things are not all bad. You know, the, the overly positive person says, everything is great. How are you doing? Everything's awesome. I'm amazing. Everything is great, and there's nothing that's wrong. And the person who doesn't see any light at the end of the tunnel says, everything is terrible and everyone is evil. Okay, those are our left and right limits. Let's live somewhere in the middle of that. There's a version of, of, of that kind of thought experiment <clears throat> that would lead us like this. When you look at anything in which you might be tempted to be cynical or you might be wondering if you, if you know enough or you have wisdom about, if you're just overly hopeful, um, a good thing to say over that, and I think it's, I think it has some wisdom in it, which is this story isn't over yet. Yep. And the fact that this story isn't over yet affects how I think about it and how I interact with it, both emotional, emotionally and actionably. Um, I think that's a really cool thought experiment to take yourself through when you're feeling either of those things, when you're feeling like, Everything is awesome and it's amazing. Hey, buddy, that story's not over yet. Uh, that may get more complicated. That may get darker. That that may get that may become more sad. Um, or if you're feeling the other way about it, if you're feeling on the other side of those left and right limits, if you're feeling like everything is evil and everything is horrible, and I am completely at the bottom of the well on this, then I would also suggest the exact same thought experiment to take yourself through, which is this story isn't over yet, and that fact affects me both emotionally and actionably, if I will let it. In other words, I need to, I'm probably going to have to check some of my emotions based on the fact that we're not done here yet. We don't have all the information and we're not at the finish line. And I need to explore what are my actionable responses to the fact that I don't know how this is going to end and we're not at the end yet. Um, There may be some actionable courses that I take based on the fact that we're not done here yet. Let me introduce another paradigm that kind of explores the, the, the middle realm of the everything is horrible versus everything is amazing, which is this. Whatever situation you're looking at, say this over it. That thing is not excused because Christians were involved. There's a, there's a weird thing in Christian culture where like, well, that looks weird and maybe that's bad and... I think in, normally I would think that was a, a bad thing, but I guess I'm just going to let it fly because the people involved were Christians, so I assume, they're, I assume they had goodwill. That's, that's a thing we want to check. Not everything is excusable or great because Christians were involved. Yep. Let's look at the, the, uh, the right limit on that. That thing isn't necessarily ruined because Christians were involved. That's where we want to check some of our cynicism. So in both cases, we might want to check hope and cynicism, based on the fact that we don't want to paint all activities of Christians with the exact same brush coming from either side of that. 
I, I want to end. Um, th- in other words, those are just a couple of thought paradigms to take some of these things through to help us include a little nuance in both the way that we feel emotionally and what we choose to do about the things that we're looking at. I'll throw this last thing in, and we can pass this around, which is this. And I, I've actually learned learned this from Jed and applied it to a lot of areas of thought in my own life. And that is this. A lot of nuance can be discovered in any situation when we're willing to explore this question. Why? Why did they do that? Why did they say that? The why behind the thing I'm looking at will allow us to access a couple of things. It will allow us to access wisdom about something incredibly awful that we need to get distance from and create boundaries against. Uh, Exploring the question of why may also, in a different direction, in different circumstances, allow us to access some empathy and understanding in a thing that we would normally dismiss and allow us to move towards someone who needs our compassion or our help. Again, nothing is all... I don't want to say nothing. Some things are just unquestionably evil. But we don't want to paint everything in the world with this brush of everything is awesome or everything is evil and terrible, and I have now total despair. Um, We've got some different paradigms that we can think in. This story isn't over yet. Not everything is terrible because Christians are involved. Not everything is perfect because Christians are involved. And am I willing to engage with the question why and discover some more nuance that either allows me to give allows me to find the wisdom to create a boundary or allows me to access some compassion and empathy towards somebody that needs that, that other people aren't going to give them. Really, really fantastically put. And Jed, where do we take it from there? I want to pick up right where Lee left off. I want to ask you, you want to be a wise person. You don't want to be a cynical person. My question for you is what is your goal? Because wisdom and cynicism point in two very, very different directions. And I want to be clear. I don't think you should be cynical, but I don't want to demonize it because cynicism is actually a form of self-comforting, and it's a really, really hard world out there, um, and probably, at least in the short term, going to get worse. And um, I am sensitive to denying any other human being something that is comforting to them, but I want you to be clear, that's what cynicism is. Cynicism is a way to comfort yourself in the midst of things going badly wrong. So you kind of have to make a decision of what you're going for. If if you want to help, whether that's other people or yourself or the world broadly, if you want to make things better, then you need wisdom. If you want to be comforted by asserting the pointlessness of action, then you need cynicism. Yeah. But I don't know that you... What's interesting to me about your question is the idea that if you became wise, it might tempt you into being cynical. And I don't think that's true because I think these point in very, very different directions. But let's be clear about this. There are moments where the wise outlook and the cynical outlook can actually overlap. A wise person can look at a scenario or a situation or an idea and say, that is not good. We should not do that thing. It is not going to work. And a cynical point of view can look at the exact same person or thing or situation and say, that's not going to work. We shouldn't do that. The real question is what happens after that assertion? Wisdom, uh, which is proved right by all her children, says, what else can we do? This thing is not going to work, but what what other options do we have? 
Whereas cynicism says we shouldn't do this. That's all I got for today. Um, they <laughs> they did overlap at that one point, but now they are moving on to other things. To dovetail with our previous question, to be Christian is to embrace the importance of wisdom, and I'll tell you why. God is calling you to love other people. He's calling you to love yourself as well, but God is calling you to live a life that is defined by love. Love is a skill you can get better at, which is something that a lot of people are not clear on. You can learn to love people effectively, which is something that Paul writes about in the beginning of the book of Philippians. So wisdom improves the quality of love. Wisdom improves the effectiveness of love, given that you, you do need wisdom if you're going to live an authentic Christian life that is defined by love. And I don't think that you're going to find wisdom taking you to a place to be cynical, because again, they point in two different directions. But it means that Christian love is love with the eyes open. We're not loving people blind to what might go wrong or uh, clueless to what the downsides could be or unaware of uh, bad possibilities. It means we're going to make the smartest move we can, and then we're going to love people anyway. Here's one more thing for you to to think about and consider. You're going to kind of need to make a decision about cynicism or not that is, in a sense, a religious decision. It, it, it won't be based on evidence, which is kind of the nature of all religious decisions, and I, I'll tell you why this is important. Every setting that you find yourself in for the rest of your life, there will always be sufficient evidence to take a cynical view of that situation. I want to repeat that for you to think about it. Every situation that you find yourself in for the rest of your life, there will always be sufficient evidence to take a cynical view of that situation. If you don't believe me, go online, find a news article about something positive, and read the comments. There will always be sufficient evidence to take a cynical view of anything. If you want hope, you have to decide you want hope. It's not a matter of waiting for there to be enough evidence to have hope. You have to decide that you want hope. But cynicism is actually the same thing because there's always there's always ammo for it. When you wake up tomorrow, you get to decide whether you live in a world that is even cautiously hopeful and driven by love formed through wisdom or whether you live in a world that is defined by cynicism. It's a choice, man. This is not going to be driven by scientific analysis. It's a choice that you have to make. The Christian choice is choosing love. But. I think the more that you're aware that it is a choice that you have to make and it is a choice that is mystical in nature, I think the more peace you can have with making that decision. That's fantastically put by both of these guys. I think you know the verse we would look to here is in Matthew where it talks about being innocent as doves and wise as serpents. And I think the, um, there is a reason that he mentions both of those in there. Um, as these guys pointed out, there, there's plenty to be cynical about. But rarely is there nothing to be hopeful about, and that is certainly a choice of uh, perception, and I think it's one that is oftentimes focused through a lens that the cynical take is the wise one and the mature one and the realistic one. You'll get something, I mean, like, even just 
any political discourse and don't, you don't have to go for like the crazy one side or the other, go to any, you know, a major newspapers opinion page. And you'll get this thing about, well, sure. We'd all love to live in a world where certain groups of people aren't brutally, uh, crushed under the heel of the dominant government, but that's just lefty nonsense. So, you know, you got to be realistic. We can't just not have people murdered in the streets over and over. We can't just give some, we, people just can't make enough money to live. That's not like a thing that happened until a number of things started happening in 1980 that are all based around one guy that I'm going to get in trouble if I start going off on this rant. But was it Ronald McDonald? Cause he was pretty popular in the 1980s. He was, he was around. I mean, white bland, but really had more of an influence that people want to give him. There's something going on there. Am I in the right Insane direction? Hair. Then? Yeah, that's true. You're definitely in the right hair direction. No doubt. And that direction is straight up friends. <laughs> but this idea that, well, to be realistic is to be cynical is I think a dangerous one. And um, there's certainly, you can understand a situation that gives you more nuance, but the idea that nuance always leads to cynicism and always leads to less optimism or less creativity or less joy, I think is a really concerning one that is everywhere around us, both in religious and, and non-religious circles. I, I've heard the analogy once of, you know, Jesus says, you know, come, come to me like a little child. And one of the things you'll often hear people explaining to little children when they have a, what the person rightly or wrongly believes to be a, an overly naive viewpoint is, well, yes, that's a very nice idea, but you just don't understand the reality of X, Y, Z. And I think a lot of people are trying to have that conversation with Jesus Yep. Where they're the mature adult who's explaining, right. yes, forgiveness and charity, yeah, dude. But you're just not. You just don't understand the reality of the situation, and that's okay. I I do because I'm very smart and very uh, wise, and not just someone who has given in to cynicism, which we all do at some point or another. But in the same way that uh, you know, Jed often says in the show, and he's absolutely right that. Uh, Hope is a choice, and that is uh, a thing that will roundly get you booed if you say it out loud as well it should. Boo! This is a deeply unpopular and unhelpful answer. It's actually very helpful. It's just unpopular. Did, yeah. did um, you just boo yourself, essentially? Yeah, I did. Yeah. I've, I've been waiting to do that a long time. Auto-boo. Yeah, that's right. Self-driving <laughs> this boo. Is the, this, is the, this is the elusive self-heckle. <laughs> that's right. But I think that the same very much goes for uh, things like optimism and and uh, joy and innocence and looking on the bright side of things, looking for the upside of things. It is a choice to make in the same way that the opposite is a choice. And that's not it's not something we want to think about as a choice. And sometimes I think we get in a mode where we're not thinking about it as a choice because we have an emotional reaction. We have ways we are socialized to think about uh, just a lack of hope as mature and realistic and um, the wise way to go, which I think these guys have both made a great point, great case that it, that's not necessarily wise, but even if that's what uh, people in a worldly sense would call wise, I think this is really one of those great times to uh, look to Jesus's uh, commands and instructions to go against the world. I don't think those necessarily mean 
the way they're so often interpreted that you should be a jerk until everyone hates you. And that's how you know you're doing good Christianing. <laughs> Where the world says to understand something, to have a mature and developed view of something is to not think that things can ever get better to go back to where Lee started us with the story not being over. I think that's exactly the kind of actual worldly viewpoint we do want to uh, reject and give a second look to. With that said, we're going to move on to our final question. It comes in and says, I recently heard a message from 2 Corinthians 4.6 about being a light in darkness. Well, everything they said was fine. It seemed to boil down to either be positive or be Christian in public. Is there more to being a light in darkness than that? I, I think it's a great question. It's a little preview. I do think so. I think that's where we're going to land. It's one of those wonderful phrases and ideas in the New Testament that I think does often, as our question asker points out, get boiled down to either um, banality or the opposite of what's getting talked about in some very, very real ways. So Lee, where do we start off with what it actually means to be a light in darkness? Well, I do want to uh, backtrack and say that um, I think one of, maybe not one of my least favorite things about our religion, because there have been some doozies lately, fellas. Really? It's going great. As Tune in next week. <laughs> um, but one of the things that's been a perennial, um, a perennial problem, I mean, definitely since I was a little kid, and I don't know when it began, is just the idea that the way you Christian this thing real hard is you're just so positive all the time and everybody just sees that and they just think that's amazing and they want that and the whole deal. And what that basically led to in in the cultural version of Christianity that I came up in was just a repression of all negative emotion. Can't um, let the atheist see you being sad, Lee. The win. Yeah, I mean, you you literally, you can't be sad. You can't be real. You can't be vulnerable. You can't show a chink in the armor. That led to that led to Christians not being able to be honest about sex. That led to Christians not being able to go get counseling, not be able to take medicines that they needed. I mean, it's, as, again, as Jed says, it's going great. <laughs> um, this kind of repression of emotion, this is not, clearly not what this verse is talking about. Um, let's outline a couple of things that are super important. Um, the, the Old Testament scriptures that foretold the coming of the Messiah, the Jesus that we worship, called him a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Um, this is the Messiah that we worship. Um, I, I heard a thing recently from my boss, who's one of my dearest friends, which is that the he was doing some digging and i and i i just got this out of a conversation i com, i completely trust him on this i have not actually looked it up myself before i sent matt my my bullet you know responses to these questions tonight but in the new testament the the word in the original language that we've translated truth is a greek word that literally means reality that's what the word truth means it means reality um that the word that the word light and truth, these things are about exposing what is the real deal. Like, what are things really like? And I'm going to say this, and, and I hope it lands with a whole lot of gravity. Some people have a very bizarre relationship with reality. Um, some people who claim to know Jesus have a very strange 
relationship with reality and with truth. And I think that part of what it means to to know God and to to have a relationship with Jesus, to to be a light in the world, um, to have a relationship with a person who literally claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life, is to more and more have a comfortable relationship with reality. So if you're having a terrible day, you're having a terrible day. And you can tell somebody that. I'm having a hard day. I feel insecure. I feel unsafe. I feel shaky. I feel like I don't have much to offer. I feel like I want to go hide in a corner. And I don't feel like anybody understands that. Now, the Christianity that I grew up in in the 1980s, that was a very unwelcome statement. But what I'm here to tell you is the one who said, I'm the light of the world, he is completely down with a prayer just like that. And he's not only down with a prayer like that, he's down with the people that know him being willing to say that kind of thing to each other. I think that the heartbeat of truth and light is that we are honest about what we're going through and that we are in tune with the reality of our situation. The other thing I would add on to this is that light is oftentimes about exposure. There are things that have the opportunity to hide in the dark, and when light shines on those things, there are things that get exposed. And what that's going to mean in certain situations and certain relationships and certain conversations is that you might have to, in a moment of a, in a trusted situation, a trusted relationship, expose something that somebody might, may be unwilling to see. And that's part of our thing is that we have an actual relationship with reality. We can talk about stuff that's true. We can talk about when we're weak. We can talk about when we're struggling. And we can face each other in trusted relationships and expose stuff that needs to be exposed. None of that feels like that uber positive, everything's great and we're all shiny, happy people holding hands kind of deal. And that's not Christianity. That's an REM song, also from the 80s. But I mean, I'm sure a lot of college pastors in 1983 tried to slide that into the set and see what happened. Well, look, it's the, the REM was from Athens, Georgia. So I'm, you know, there's a, a lot of the 1980s Christian thought, I think, came from within that zip code. Um, but yeah, we need to look at the fact that um, truth and light, um, light is about truth. Truth is about reality. Light is about exposure. That means that for us to walk in those things is to walk in the in the comfort that we have with our own vulnerability, our own weaknesses, our own from time to time and trusted relationships, having to step into uncomfortable spaces and expose stuff. These are hard things and they're not comfy things, but it's what it means to be children of light. It's what it means to be children of truth and reality um, with the one who was self-styled as the man of sorrows. Again, a fantastic place to start that answer off. And Jed, where do we close it out? I want to pick up exactly where Lee was was leaving off. So a couple of things that are worth noting. Um, one of the themes of 2 Corinthians is suffering. It, that's mm-hmm. actually where the book starts, and that's actually most of what the chapter in question is about. It's, it's a book about suffering, and not just like a little suffering, like, had a bad day. Like, literally, the beginning of the book, Paul is talking about, hey, I don't want you to be unaware of how bad things got for us recently. He says, they got so bad that we actually despaired of life itself. Yeah. We, we were yeah. sure that we were all going to die. That's, that's where this book begins. It is a book... I like the idea of the, the that being the black metal version of that had a bad day song he's playing American Night. <laughs> <laughs> so you had a bad day. You're questioning the that validity of existence itself due to your suffering. 
Precisely. We were yeah. gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> if if there were a book in the Bible that would have a, a certain Norwegian black metal vibe, it, it would be Second Corinthians. Like, you know, it it's a weird bit of cherry picking to take the book of Second Corinthians and say, the main takeaway is be a light in the darkness. Like that's that that's a little weird, man. Um, you know, so Here's the thing is right the, the chapter that you pointed to one way to read that chapter and it, it's certainly the way I would be inclined to read it is that um it's it is calling Christians to to have a life that lets other people know the kind of person that God is that's kind of the thing that's that's coming up throughout that chapter is that people should see something of God reflected in us not that they think we're God because no one is confused about that but that through knowing us, they would get a sense, even a little bit, of the kind of dude God might be. But now, here's the funny thing that links directly to what Lee was talking about. The context where he is, where Paul is urging that that would happen is when things go wrong. Most of this chapter is talking about things getting super, super bad in our lives, and what do we do with that? And the point that he's making, which actually goes back to Lee's excellent answer on our previous question, is that the suffering is not the end of the story for us. We're not denying it. We're not pretending like it's going on, but neither is it the only thing that's true of our lives. That's kind of what Paul is suggesting in this chapter. And I, I can tell you, everybody's had their own suffering, and so it, it doesn't really make sense to, to compare people's sufferings. But it, for my part, I have been through periods in my life that I was not sure I would survive. Um, and I have, I have been through periods of my life where I was sure that if I did survive them, I might be a hollow husk of a human being for the rest of my life. And one of the skills, one of the coping mechanisms that I have learned in those seasons is you can't let this suffering be the only thing that's going on in your life right now. This yeah. cannot be the only story that's going on. And that's part of what Paul is pointing to when he's talking about going through hard times but still reflecting something of who God is to the outside world in this chapter is not letting that be the only thing that's going on in in your life. And so I it would be laughable for me to suggest to you that I can tell you everything you need to know about how to suffer but be a witness at the same time and perfectly balance those things. Um if you know someone who can give you all the answers on that, please introduce me. I would love to meet them. That would be pretty amazing. Tell them to start a podcast. <laughs> I would listen. That would be great. <laughs> I will retire immediately. In the meantime, though, I think it's a, it's a whole book about suffering. It's a chapter about suffering, and it's a chapter about figuring out how to reflect something of the character of God in, in the midst of what you're going through. And I want to ask you a question that's going to sound kind of judgy. It, I don't mean it that way. I, I really, like, literally, I want you to think about it, is... Are love and kindness and generosity, are those through lines of your life? Because th those are the character of God. Love, generosity, kindness, compassion. That, that is the character of God. Are those things that are in any way visible as a through line in your life? Now, it sounds like you're supposed to go, no, not really. And then I was to say, well, I guess you really have something to think about, don't you? All right, let's it's time it's time for every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed and us to all feel bad about ourselves. It's actually not what I'm saying at all. A, I imagine that there is 
stuff in your life that does bear witness to God's love and kindness and generosity. I think there's probably more of that than you might expect. But here's the second half of it. Literally think about it. What gets in the way? Like, I've had a pleasure of meeting a lot of people who listen to this show, and the huge vast majority of them are very kind people. I bet you are a kind person. Do other people know that about you? And if they don't, why not? The answer is not secret sin. The answer is not you're secretly a jerk. What is practically speaking getting in the way of other people having sense that you're a kind person? Because I bet that you are. And if we can drop the shame and look at it from a more functional standpoint, I think we will figure out how to be a light in the darkness. I bet if you listen to this podcast, you're a compassionate person. Do other people know that about you? If they don't, what is the logistical hurdle that's getting in the way of other people getting a sense of the kind of compassionate person that you are? If we can answer that, we will be well on our way to being a light in the darkness, which I have no doubt you are the right person both to do and to be. I think it's a great point and great stuff from both of these guys. One small thing I'll tack on the end here is one of the things that is often said uh, when talking about the idea of being a light in the darkness is you don't need to be a lot of light. You only need a little candle and that little bit of light can drive away the darkness. And that's totally true. That's a great point. But I don't think that comes from the idea that you only have a little to give. I think that comes from the idea to, to pick up right where Jeff was saying, if you walk into a room where someone is sitting in the dark and you shine a 1 million candlelight uh, spotlight in their face, that's not <laughs> going to feel great. Part of being a light in the darkness and being kind is proportion is empathy is coming to someone with what they can handle. You don't need to go all the way back to release artists. You don't need to come in doing backflips and talking about how you're blessed and everything's great. If someone's having a crappy day, the kindest thing you can often do is go, I'm really sorry you're having a crappy day. Yeah. There's Bible verses about coming in too hot with that encouragement. Absolutely. Right. Sometimes you got to use your indoor voice (laughs) when someone is sad. That's really what the idea calls for. Literally, the Bible says if somebody's having a hard day and you come in with that extreme positivity, it's like taking the warm coat off of a person in the middle of a freezing cold day. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to you don't want to come into some imagine again, imagine yourself coming into a dark room where somebody's heat has gone out and saying, Come on, you don't need that coat. That's negative thinking. <laughs> all the warmth you needed was inside you all along. Sounds like a great idea. Isn't bad idea. So again, the, the, I think uh, hopefully that sets you free in the idea of being a kind person, being a light in a darkness, being a comforting person. You don't have to have all the answers. We said oftentimes in the show, you also don't have to have all the intensity. And oftentimes as Lee points out, it's a lot better if you don't. But on that note, uh, we will wrap it up there. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, the bridge, slash ask. You want to keep that entirely anonymous. Take out the song this week. This is from the Pool House Guru, his take on Galatians 6 9. All right. I think a great track to take us out. Take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. 